What is my destiny? This question causes us to grapple with the decisions we make, the careers we choose, the hobbies we settle on, and the mindsets that we allow to be front and center in our lives. It's a question that either causes extreme discontentment or sublime joy. And it's the question that informs Pastor Jeff's sermon today entitled, Touch the Icon. If you've ever felt like you're on the wrong path, it may not even be for the reasons you think. And Pastor Jeff will be encouraging you on how you can live out your destiny today. Enjoy this sermon by Pastor Jeffrey Smith on the City of Life Church podcast. My text is found in Philippians 1.21, not a super long verse, but it says this, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Can you read that with me? For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Father, thank you so much for your love and your goodness and your faithfulness. You are worthy and holy and deserving of our praise and honor today. Holy Spirit, continue to move in this room. Continue to move in hearts right now. Continue to do the miraculous work that only you can do. We speak supernatural miracles in this room. Lord, we speak that hope would rise from the ashes of failure and regret and shame. Lord, that people would begin to get see a glimpse of their God future in you uh, through the power of your word today. Uh, Lord, I call people out in Jesus' name that have been settling uh, for second best. Lord, and I pray that you would give them the strength and the courage and the audacity to step into their destiny and their purpose, even though it's uncommon to step into something like that. But Lord, they would no longer be able to remain where they've been, but they have to get where you've called them to go. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Help me deliver this in a way that honors you. Amen. All right, so um, week 10, uh, the, the final part of the book of Jesus First, Jesus Always, the point of the book, I hope if, it, it, I'm not going to do a, like a week-by-week week recap, but the point of the book is definitely that there is this life that we've been called to live, which means recognizing that Jesus preceded us. He came before us in eternity recognizing that Jesus must not only come before us in eternity, he has to come uh, before us in priority as well. So in our lives, the decisions we make and the things we do must be run through the filter of is Jesus coming before this? Is he before this in my, in my conversations? Is he before this in my career choices? Is he before this uh, you know, friendship that I've built? Is he before this, this house I want to build, this piece of property I want to buy? Is he before this vacation? Is Jesus in front of everything? So it's a basic idea, but it's, it's easy to say, but it's hard to live. Do I recognize that Jesus preceded me in eternity? And am I, am I allowing Jesus to precede me in all the priorities of life? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a very challenging thing to live this out. Uh, so that's what Jesus first is, is really about. Then Jesus always means that he's always in eternity. It means that in front of us, that we have him to look forward to, all of history is rushing toward him. But it also means that he's always in everything. So he's first in preexistence, first in priority, always in eternity, and always in everything. Everything in my life needs to honor and glorify Jesus. You say, what about eating pizza? Yes. Absolutely. Eating pizza needs to glorify Jesus. Why? Because we have freedom in Christ. 
to do what he's called us to do. And if you're eating it in moderation <laughs> and you're not eating the whole entire box every single time, uh, to, to just enjoy life and enjoy friendships, enjoy relationships, whether you're working out or you're at work or you're at church or, or at a restaurant, that, that Jesus first, Jesus always means that there's not more of Jesus in this room than there is outside of this room. Jesus first, Jesus always is a way of viewing the world. So as we close the series, I really am fascinated by what Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He doesn't say to live is fun, to live is purposeful, to live is amazing. He says to live is Christ. It's if I'm alive, essentially what he's saying is if I'm alive, if I have breath in my lungs, then it's about Jesus. If I am going to live one more single day, everything I do, every action, every thought, every, every purpose in my heart, it's all Jesus. Look at someone next to you and say, you look good today. Don't think I didn't notice. Now tell them, say, if I breathe another breath, tell them. It's Jesus. Does that make sense to everyone? It's a deep idea. He's got people that are chasing him, wanting to kill him. So he's viewing his life in the weight of eternity. He's saying, if I die, then that's probably even better in terms of cosmically. I get to be physically in the presence of Jesus for eternity. No pain, no suffering. But he's saying, but if I live, if I live, it is Jesus. Because I've tried it every other way and it never satisfies me. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. How do we live that way? How do we make Jesus such a priority in our life? How do we make him such a central part of who we are? That to live is Christ. Well, I, I do believe that it takes some focus. I do believe it takes some reprogramming down on the inside of who we are. I do believe that many of our mission in life is to seek out what makes us happy. And I believe that that mission is off. I believe, I don't just believe it, I know it scientifically. Because I've seen research done that shows asking a thousand people what is the main point of life, and most people say happiness. Uh, and, and really that does not mesh well with a biblical worldview. I believe that there is happiness and fulfillment in knowing the person that is Jesus. I believe that if you're seeking happiness... If that's your primary goal, then many people will use Jesus as a means to get to the goal of happiness. And that is far off. But if Jesus is the goal in life, we have greater things along that journey of getting to Jesus because he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And what's wonderful about him being the way is it means the destination is also the way. It means that we don't have to just say, remember when you were a kid, who remembers, who remembers the cross-state car trip with your family when you were a kid and you had your brother or sister in the back seat of the imaginary line that you couldn't cross and there's all that fuss and, and you say, Mom, Mom he, she's crossing the seat, she's on my side and the dad turns around, if I have to pull this car over, I'm telling you, uh, you remember that? It just happened to all of us. What, what, what's terrible about that is nobody likes that trip. Nobody likes that trip. What are you doing? You just go, Dad, how long until we get there? And he goes, son, it's only 10 more hours. And you're going, no! 
It's, it's terrible because nobody likes the trip. And that's, that's how life looks if happiness is your ultimate destination. You're constantly going to look at what you're doing right now as an inconvenience. You're constantly going to be saying, Billy's sitting over the line. You're frustrated with the trip. There's no fulfillment in the trip because to you, happiness is a destination. It's a place that you have to reach. But when you realize that Jesus is the way, it changes your whole mentality of life. He actually is the way. He is the car trip. He is the the, the fun things in between. It doesn't have to be the way you think because the way is also the destination. And I believe we've got to reprogram our lives. Uh, I believe we've got to reprogram the way we view our job, the way we view our relationships that are maybe not the greatest relationships in the world. Maybe you, don't have the, maybe you don't have a ton of friends that genuinely care for you and genuinely are calling you all the time. How are you? I haven't talked to you in a few days. Is everything well? Maybe you're not completely fulfilled and satisfied with all the, the exterior things that are in your life. But can I tell you something? The destination is also the way. You have to learn how to change your attitude and say, someday I'll have the kind of friends that do this and do that, and then I'll be happy. No, that's really not true. If you don't learn how to get Jesus in that car ride today, if you don't learn how to get Jesus in the car ride from here to your house, if you don't learn how to get Jesus in the conversation you have with your family from here on the way home today, you're constantly going to be in pursuit of something so elusive that no one can ever find it, and that is a thing called happiness. So in, in the book, I do touch really briefly on this, this part of our brain, and, and I believe that this is important for us to do some reprogramming in our life. But it's a part of our brain called the reticular activating system, and, and a lot of people will call it RAS. RAS is a, a net-like formation at the base of our brain that helps regulate sleep sleepfulness and wakefulness so and what RAS will do is it not only helps us know when we're supposed to sleep or when we're supposed to wake up and all the transitions in between but the the really interesting thing about it is it's a filter of information so when you think about our brains how is it possible that we're able to uh, be in a let's say we're at the mall I don't know if this ever happened to you but let's say you're at the mall there's just hundreds of people all over the place you hear a ringtone in the mall, that is your ringtone. What do you do? You start. Why? Because RAS has just pinged you that something that is crucial to your personal mission in life, what is programmed on the deepest part of you, RAS has told you there's, there's a billion sounds and stimuli all over the place right now. The guy dropping his coffee over there, not important to your mission. He's across the way. It's not going to spill on you. You don't have to worry about the, the, the yelling and the screaming and all that stuff. You don't have to look over there. Your brain, in the back of your brain, it knows your mission and what is central and key to your mission in life. So it completely filters out all the conversations around you. Oh, but, you know, Billy, what do you think about the new uh, you know, sports arena that they just built? It doesn't matter. You're not even listening to that conversation. It's not crucial to your mission in life. But have you ever noticed that if you're at the mall and someone says, Jeffrey Smith, uh, your wallet has been found. In the middle of all that, if you hear that, in the middle of all that, how is it possible with all those millions of things that you are able to focus on the key piece of information that is pertinent to you? Why? Because RAS understands your deepest mission in life and it filters out anything 
that does not push that mission forward. So here's a good question. What is your mission? Isn't that pretty important? If you have a, a physical RAS, reticular activating system in your brain, a net that is catching everything that is pertinent and significant to your future and to your mission, if you have that on a physical, scientific, biological level, how about your spirit? What about your spirit? Don't you think that your spirit has a way of finding things that are important to your deepest spiritual value that you have established in your life? If you believe that the universe is all about you and happiness is your main pursuit, believe me, you have an RAS in your spirit that is out there that's anything that pushes you forward. Oh, you look great today. Ooh, that's central to my mission. Uh, have you been working out? Ooh, that's central to my mission. Anything that makes you feel good or pumps you up, you'll stop and take pause are you with me today you'll stop and take pause if your spiritual ras has not been adjusted appropriately it keeps it it keeps you on mission and see i feel like my mission in life is to make the hope of jesus known uh, it's our church's vision statement someone say that with me to make the hope of jesus known one more time to make the hope of Jesus known. Okay, I'm going to add some words to it. We're repeating a lot of stuff here today. But now I want you to say, my mission is to make the hope of Jesus known. Say that. My mission is to make the hope of Jesus known. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that's why you're alive. I believe that's why you work where you work. I believe that's why you're married to who you're married to. I believe that's why you're, you have a relationship with your kids. I believe that's why you're good at what you're good at is to make the hope of Jesus known in that area. That has to be, it has to be the deepest belief system that I have in my heart is that I believe I'm alive every day to make the hope of Jesus known. That means no matter what role I might be operating in, that is my mission. And you know what happens is spiritually, my RAS says anything that helps me to make the hope of Jesus known. Are you following me today? Anything that helps me to make the hope of Jesus known, I'm going to hang on to. Why? Because to live is what? It's Christ. To live is Christ. My life is about Jesus and only Jesus. If I breathe another breath, it's because my life is Jesus. It's to make the hope of Jesus known. It's everybody that I come in contact. It's like I was going through the other night with the City of Life had a football game, and I went through a, a little drive through and I was going to get me a drink, and Whoever was in front of me, what, the, the stuff that they said to the poor, I don't know how they messed their order up. I know that she was yelling at this girl that was in, in the drive-thru, and she was saying, you, I mean, just calling her every single name in the book. And, and man, this girl, her head was dipped so low when, when I drove up, and she said, she goes, I gave her the, she was talking to her friend, she's like, I gave her the, the what was on the order, what, why was she yelling at me? And I said, hey, I said, I just want to tell you something. I said, Jesus loves you today. The Lord loves you. You have value. You did not deserve for someone to talk uh, to you like that. Now, please put my straw in the bag when you put the. <laughs> her, she started laughing. Her, she got this huge smile on her face. She said, thank you. So, she's like, thank you so much. She's like, that's, that's hard sometimes when people 
Don't you want to be the one that's encouraging the person? I don't want to be the person who's the, the one that is bringing people down. I want to make the hope of Jesus. And I want people to leave after they've met me going, man, that's not just him. That's, that's Jesus. That, if, if I've ever seen Jesus, I've seen it in that person right there because they're letting Jesus. Come on. Are you, are you alive on a Sunday morning? It's like, is that not good enough to clap to? I'm waiting for a better one. It's early. There's got to be a better zinger than that. We just live to make the hope of Jesus known. That's why we're alive. That's why Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. Okay, so last week, if you were here, we talked about Jesus healing the lepers. When I was a kid, I used to think it was the leopards. I thought he like, had this passion for healing like large game animals. Uh, but G- Jesus was healing the lepers, and um, after uh, he heals them, isn't it interesting that he tells this guy, he says, don't tell anyone. We talked about that a little bit last week. Don't tell anyone. And he's telling these people all the time, don't tell anyone. And you think, wow, I wonder why. That's so deep. He told him not to tell anyone. Let's talk about that in Bible study this week. Well, I mean, it says right here, it says Mark 5. Uh, it says in Mark 1, it says he, he told him not to tell anyone because he couldn't openly enter a town. If the guy told everyone that he was blind and he had just been healed or had leprosy, then that would impede Jesus' ability to go heal more people because the, the, the masses would come and follow him. It's kind of a practical reason. It's like, you know, it's like if, I don't know, if Michael Jackson, you know, is coming to town or something and, and you work at the mall and he's going to come to the mall, he'll go, do me a favor, don't tell anyone that I'm going to be at the mall today. I'm going to do some shopping. You know, I mean, so if you told everyone Michael Jackson couldn't go shopping, Jesus is way cooler than Michael Jackson. And he is trying to tell people, look, I, just keep it on the DL. I got a lot of great things for you. Don't tell anyone. So it's interesting that he tells this leper, don't tell anyone in Mark chapter 1. But in Mark chapter 5, he heals a dude that has been demon-possessed massively violent. This guy is so violent, hurting people all over the place. So he cast this de- these demons out of this guy, multiple demons. And in fact, it's, it's a very strange story. These demons, he cast them into a herd of pigs, and the pigs run off a cliff and die. It's, it, that, that story used to really scare me. I mean, it kind of scares me right now, and I'm 46. It's super weird. So he cast these, these, these spirits into the, these pigs, and they run off the side of a cliff. And... Um, he heals this guy, and you know what he tells this guy? Go tell everyone. Isn't that interesting? Go tell everyone. Now you say, wow. He said go tell everyone, but he told the other dude not to tell everyone. That's huge. Well, <laughs> look at the timeline. In this story, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's like, I'm not worried about crowds right now. Uh, everything, I mean, everybody's going to know who I am just a few weeks. It's over. I'm not coming back to this part of the town. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Now go tell everyone. And see, this is what Jesus is telling you today. Tell everyone. Tell everyone. Don't keep this stuff to yourself anymore. God has not erased your past. See, that's a problem that a lot of Christians have is they think that God has erased your past. You know what he's done? He's redeemed your past. He's redeemed, and redeem means to buy back something that was held, can, 
captive or for ransom to buy it back. So your whole story was, ran, was captive, and there was a ransom for you, but Jesus paid the ransom for your life to redeem your story. It doesn't mean that you weren't abused. It doesn't mean that you weren't hurt. It doesn't mean that you weren't a, a cheater or a liar or whatever it was that you did that there's so much shame associated with when you think of it. It doesn't mean that you didn't do it. He doesn't take a big eraser and say, you didn't do that, now you know me. That's all gone. No, he says, you did all of those things, but I used every one of those things as part of your story to lead me to this moment of redemption. And now when you look back at your past, you don't have to look at your past with shame anymore. Shame has no claim on me anymore. Shame has been erased. Guilt has been erased. God has taken your past and he has redeemed it and made it holy because it led you to salvation. That's what I love about David is God uses the most mundane, basic things of our life that we think mean nothing and he will use them to bring about our future. David is a shepherd. I mean, when Samuel comes and is looking for all the different guys in Jesse's house that could possibly be king, he says, bring out all the sons. And he brings them all out, all big, strong, good looking. No, it's not you, it's not you, it's not you, it's not you. Just goes down the line, all the best looking sons, the most talented. No, it's not you. Is there any other son? He goes, yeah, I got this one son. He's a kid. He's like out there with the, the sheep. He's a shepherd. He just like sits around writing songs all day and playing Xbox. I mean, is that the guy you want to talk to? And he's like, yeah, bring, bring him over here. And he brings David over, and David is just this young guy. And you know what David's past consisted of? Writing songs and watching sheep. Isn't it interesting that the guy whose past consisted of writing songs and watching sheep said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside. See, he knew a little bit what it was to be a shepherd, so he's the one that got the revelation what it feels like to have God be your shepherd. Can you imagine? David is out there. He's got no audience. He just pretends the sheep are people. He's like, all right, everyone come together. We're going to have a worship service. I got this new one I wrote. It's called The Lord is My Shepherd. I think it's going to be a huge hit many years to come. He's got nothing going on. Isn't it wild how God used David's past? He redeemed David's past. And as a matter of fact, you say, well, that's, that's a positive thing. Well, how about with Bathsheba? He committed murder in order to be with Bathsheba. And after that was all over with in Psalm 52, he says, God used my story so that transgression, transgressors will avoid this completely. And they'll see my story, teach people my story so that they don't have to go down the road that I went down. Somebody say, today, say, living for Jesus is the reason I was born. Say, to make the hope of Jesus known is the reason I'm here. Your story is not insignificant today. It's not insignificant. There's power. How about Moses? You know, it, there, there's this terrible situation going on in Egypt and all the Jews' firstborn babies' sons are dying and, and he's floating down the river. His parents put him in a little basket and he's floating down the river. He's, he's picked up by Pharaoh's house and raised in the house of Pharaoh, educated in the house of Pharaoh even though he's a Jew. And he learns how to communicate with Egyptians and he learns uh, the, the way to have conversations. And then he commits murder goes into the wilderness for 40 years, and God tells him in the middle of the wilderness, while also watching sheep, 
I'll have you know. For 40 years, I mean, he's sitting there going, dang, I had it made, man. I was educated. I used to dress nice. I used to have friends. I used to know all the hot spots, every great restaurant uh, that was out there. I knew it. And here I am with a bunch of animals for 40 years. For 40 years. I mean, you may think that your dream is over after about 45 minutes. If you don't get the right answer you're looking for, this guy's out there for 40 years. His only audience, a bunch of sheep. And God says, hey, I'm going to send you to Egypt to negotiate with the Pharaoh to let all of my people go. You are going to be my key guy. So isn't it interesting that all of the the, uh, education that he received as a kid, as an Egyptian on how to communicate, that God uses him to be the negotiator with the Pharaoh, the very house that he was raised in, and also the 40 years that he spent with those sheep by himself alone he spends 40 years in the wilderness as the shepherd of a bunch of people. So every day of experience he gained in the wilderness with the sheep is a day of experience he needed while shepherding God's people. God will take your story and he will redeem it. About 50% of you felt like that was a good enough zinger to clap at. That's good. That's good. The numbers are slowly rising here today. I mean, we need to stop looking for zingers and start getting excited about the Word of God no matter what we're talking about. Come on, it's the Word. I don't write zingers. I just try to preach. My God. And then Peter. Peter is is, is the old... You ever been around a fisherman before? Fishermen are not exactly these, like, typically, these super sophisticated guys that, like, have to have some pedigree before you become a fisherman, they're just dudes. They're just rough around the edges guys. They go out and, and I mean, the language is sometimes not at the highest level. I'll just say that right now. These are just rough. These are the men that Jesus chose to be his disciples. And when Peter realizes that Jesus is choosing him, he goes, look, I'm just a fisherman. He's like, oh, you're good. He's like, you're good. I'm gonna teach you how to fish for people. See, your story that you've been so embarrassed about, it's time to live to tell your story. It's time to realize that there's hope wrapped up in the story that you've been so ashamed of. There's hope for someone else that they need to hear about. See, for years, I despised my story because I grew up hearing my dad's story. And my dad's story is that he was this kid who grew up loving God, had a tragedy in his life that spun him out of control, went down a road of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, was in a jail cell facing 25 years, and the judge miraculously threw out the sentence. He gave his heart to Jesus in that jail cell, served God, built the church, and never looked back. I didn't have that story. You know what my story was? I loved God my whole life and did a lot of dumb stuff my whole life, just on purpose, like as a fool. Who wants, to, who wants to tell that story? So rather than tell that story, I just used to get the, you know, change the subject or put it on something else. I had a pornography addiction from the time I was 13 till I was 36 years old. And I went to my, actually I was 33 years old and I went to this thing called an encounter weekend where God let me know that he loved me enough to give me a hope and a future even when I had given up on myself. And I had let my whole life be defined by what I could perform in front of people. And it was only at that time, 
after having this terrible thing in my life that just dug its claws deep into me, after feeling like I, I would never be free of that, that God would finally be able to use my story to change somebody else's history. And I believe that when you allow him, when you get the shame out of your past, see, when, if I could tell that story or, or be the guy that I was in jail and, and I, I would choose that other story every time. Why? Because it's, it seems so much more redemptive, but it's not true. God is the one that is redemptive. It's not, our, it's not our story specifically that has to impress anyone. He is the one that is redemptive today. You let him take your story and breathe life onto it, breathe life into it. Stop allowing negativity to steal your joy. Stop allowing negative things. Did you know that a guy named John Capeccio, he is a, a, a doctor, PhD from University of Chicago, he did a study, and in this study, he hooked people up to uh, monitors to see physical reactions, and he showed them photos of things that induce like joy, like a child laughing or a piece of chocolate cake or something like that. Then he would show them all these neutral things that really have nothing, like just like a wrench or like a plate or something, something that just is completely neutral. Then he would show them really graphic images, whether it was like a, of a murder scene or, uh, you know, a bill, an unpaid bill or something like that. Did you know that negative images and negative words induce a five times greater reaction in a human being than something positive does? So that means for every negative word that you speak in your life, you have to speak five positive words just to make up for it. So when you start talking about your past and letting things get you off your mission in life and, and, and getting into that realm of negativity, you, you're getting so off mission. We need to program our RAS. Our spiritual RAS is to make the hope of Jesus known. You wake up every day, you say to make the hope of Jesus known. And you know what happens when something negative comes your way? Something negative comes into your life, someone lies about you, says words against you to keep you from your future. You know what it's like? It's like the guy who spilled his coffee over there on the other side at the mall. That's got nothing to do with where you're going. You're on your way. You've got an appointment. You're going to keep moving forward in life. You're not going to allow the negative things to get you off your game. Why? What's going to happen? Somewhere along the way, someone speaks a word or somebody says something about your future that's positive, that pushes you toward making the hope of Jesus. You stop what you're doing, you go, who said that? Who said that right there? And you reach out and you take a hold of it, why? Because somebody just had the same cell phone ringtone you did. Your spiritual RES was scanning all of that information and you just held on to something that is pertinent to your mission in life. God doesn't want to erase your past, he wants to redeem it. Now live to tell your story make your story to live as Christ to die as gain if I go on another day living it's all going to be about Jesus you were born for this moment so start living the rest of your life Jesus first Jesus. thank you so much for listening to the City of Life Church podcast if City of Life has blessed you in any way please consider giving by heading to col.tv and clicking on the give tab have a great week